Welcome to the podcast of the fabulous Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Michael Gordon, and I'm proud to serve as the 95th president of the greatest Rotary Club in the world. Our club serves our local and international community through a variety of projects, but our main focus is on youth literacy. If you're ever in town for either business or pleasure, we invite you to join us at one of our weekly lunches. More information about meeting time and location can be found at lasvegasrotary.com. Now, sit back and enjoy this week's speaker. Well, I'm very happy to introduce our speaker, who, by the way, is also a Rotarian here in Las Vegas. And um, this is Robin Bernard, who's going to be speaking for us today. He entered the world of keynote speaking, executive presentation coaching, and sales training, and has spent over a decade in sales and training at Microsoft, Barclays Global Investors, and IGT here in Las Vegas. Just recently back from trips to Turkey and Jordan, he has seen firsthand how citizens across Syria and other countries are being displaced by violence, and he's going to talk to us about that. Robin? Now I got it. Thank you so much, everyone. Uh, just give me one second here while I get this uh, PowerPoint going. All right, everyone. Well, as uh, Sidra said, my name is indeed Robin Bernard, and I, it's my, uh, my privilege to be in front of you. As a uh, Rotarian in the Summerlin Club, um, I'm always amazed at the turnout for these events and the hospitality that's shown to everybody. So, again, it's a real privilege to, uh, to be in front of you today. As Sidra briefly mentioned, I have been working with a group out of Jordan and the United States bringing aid to Syrian refugees in Jordan. And one of the things that I like to sort of one of the things that I like to put out there very first is that my discussions with groups like the Rotary Club are not about putting heat or a political spin on the conflict in Syria. It's about just shining a light and illuminating some of the bare facts, numbers, and humanity that's sort of behind this, uh, this conflict. So. With that, let me just put sort of three goals in front of you that I'm hoping to, uh, to lay out today. One is, as I said, to give a little clarity to the situation, even down to the geography, to talk a little bit about this organization called the Syria Fund and what they're doing in the region and what my part has been with them. And then just to let you know a little bit about how you can get involved. So. What I'm going to be showing you here are some actual pictures that were taken by this group between 2005, 2007, 2009, and 2015. The Syria crisis, as it's called, has to this point, and of course the numbers are still being tabulated and recalculated every day, has taken about 400,000 lives and it's put about 4.8 million refugees into motion around the planet. 
And one of the things that I found interesting behind the Syria, organi- the, the Syria fund is that they, they, they sort of stumbled into this very basic equation that defined their purpose. And it's, it wasn't just to shuttle money to Syrian refugees, but they, they took a look at the bare numbers and they started calculating how many of those 4.8 million people were children and how many of those 4.8 million people were young adults that were growing up, not just in a time of war, but without education or any sense of normalcy for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. And they started thinking about what those people would, those kids and young adults would develop into when they're 18, 20, 22, 25, 30 years old. And so they decided to get involved in just that part of the equation. They wanted to help bring education and a little bit of normalcy to the kids that are part of that 4.8 million uh, person population. But what I'm going to show you first here are just some of the images that we took back from uh, Jordan and, and Syria. So what you're looking at here is a comparative photograph between two marketplaces. What you're looking at here is, of course, just a beautiful home reduced to rubble. And one of the things I can attest to from being especially in Turkey is that, you know, when when you think about the Middle East, oftentimes you're thinking about tribal people living in tents. But the population behind Syria is a lot like the population of Las Vegas. I was in Istanbul, Turkey, having a conversation with a guy that went to dental school in Madison, Wisconsin. And he was there with his family of four, literally living on the streets of Istanbul, and spoke perfect English, and he went to a really good dental school. Here you can see some more images of marketplaces, malls, and and where people used, used to shop. This is a mosque that was reduced to to rubble. And this is what you see in cities in Syria as ISIS and the bad guys are coming in. It's quite literally droves of people carrying everything that they can put on their backs, hitting the road, and just getting out. It's, It's, quite honestly, it's about just fleeing at this point for many people. This is a scene that uh, we captured just on the Jordanian border, which is very close to also extreme Western Iraq. And as you can see, it's, it's old people, kids, women, just trying to get out of the country. So getting back to the Syria fund, it was started, interestingly, by a couple of kids who had studied in the region for a little while, they saw this, this crisis taking place. And as I said, they calculated the numbers of refugees and how many of those were going to be children growing up without an education or a sense of normalcy. And they got involved first in just trying to, to raise awareness and, and raise money. And one of the things that they quickly found is, is you can't just ship money to the Middle East. So they put together a program. They officially became a 5013C and enlisted people like me to 
basically sneak money into the Middle East, where we bought food and clothing and other materials on the ground in Jordan. We helped pack them up and actually ship them up and deliver them to refugees right on the Syrian, Iraqi, and Jordanian border. So the intent of the club, I'm going to read off of the, the, the sheet here, which is bad form, but it, it's a group of volunteers who are identifying individuals that are underserved by the large mainstream aid organizations. So we worked a lot with the UNHCR, the, 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 the Refugee Commission of the UN. And one of the things that we found out when we were on the ground is, is that a lot of these refugees don't want to live in a refugee camp. They end up on the streets of Amman, they end up on the streets of Istanbul or, or you know, different places in, uh, in Lebanon, and they migrate across places like Greece and into Western Europe, and largely they're, they're, they're underserved by the large, large aid organizations. They, 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 the aid organizations are there to help people survive in the short term, but this has been going on for seven years now. These aid organizations aren't prepared to really deal with people's educational and normalcy needs. So one of the things I wanted to start off with here is just a map of the Middle East. Uh, the Middle East is it's, it's a place that everybody hears about in the news and you're in, you find yourself inundated with words like the Syrian crisis. You hear about places like Iraq. You hear about Israel. You hear about Lebanon. You hear about Turkey. This is just a map to show you what the neighborhood basically looks like. So where we were was between Amman, Jordan, and this long line of Jordan going into Syria, and just west of Iraq. That is also the home of the world's second largest refugee camp called Zatari. And here you can see a couple of screenshots that denote exactly where we were in the country. The Syria Fund team, these are the two leaders. One's his name is Dimitri, her name is Lexi. They actually lived in Syria for a while. They both speak fluent Arabic. They have friends that are Syrian and they're the ones that did this quick math, started this program, and now it's expanded to a number of different uh, programs that are international in scope and being funded into the seven digits at this point. So they're one of the largest, most well-funded, most well-run organizations now dealing with educational needs specific to Syrian refugees today. This is a shot of us outside of the UN compound, right up on that border of Jordan where we were working to really define the crisis, who are patrons and, and who are basic customers we're going to be. And, uh, you know, in, in the words of the head of the UN in that part of the world, they're just not prepared to set up a city for people to live in. They, they have 
They have tents, they have basic materials, but they don't want to give birth to cities. And by the way, the UN in that part of the world is doing a remarkable job. They're not just setting up tents and putting up borders. They have iris scans that allow for everybody in the refugee camp to be identified and it allows for them to track the services that these people are getting. But again, they don't want the UN to get into the business of starting cities in the middle of nowhere. A very quick view of Amman, some of the ruins and the, the, the Roman ruins of Amman. And this is some of our experience here where we showed up in Amman. This is our first day on the ground there and where we were shopping for supplies, packing them up, sorting them so that we weren't just dumping supplies on people but actually giving prepackaged bundles to uh, certain populations. This was us in just one of our delivery trucks taking these supplies up to the Syrian border. And this is where we came in contact with our first school that is aligned with the Syria Fund. This school, as you can see here, it's mostly made out of cargo containers that they've outfitted to be classrooms. And one of the remarkable things here is that through all of the preconceived notions of the way that things get run in the Middle East, this school was conceived of and is run extremely well all by women who left their normal jobs, came out of places like Amman, and moved to the middle of nowhere, put together the funding, put together the infrastructure for these cargo containers to be put together that's at the end of an Air Force base in Jordan. So we had F-16s literally flying right over the school the entire time, but this is what these kids consider normal now. And that's, by the way, something that we found all the way through our, our journey, that, that women were primarily stepping up to fill these roles when it came to family care, children, and education. So it was, it was remarkable and, and illuminating at the same time. Uh, this is a funny picture of my brother showing this, this, he's right there in the middle, showing this little kid his camera. When I say that these kids are not living in the middle of the desert, they're not just coming out of tents, but they're actually coming out of homes with cell phones and Apple computers. This kid picked up my cell phone right away and was digitally downloading games within a couple of minutes and playing his favorite game on my cell phone. This group is the Middle East Children's Initiative. This is another group that we dealt with. Again, they're an innovative group started and run by women that are starting educational programs in Amman that align to the educational needs of these kids coming through the, the refugee camps. One of their fantastic ideas was to start a school program before the regular day of school and after the regular day of school so they could mainstream 
Syrian refugees, but not disrupt the normal school day, but it gave those kids a sense of normalcy and that they were all of a sudden in a school with lockers and, and lunchrooms, and the whole thing is being privately funded and operated outside of the normal hours of, of Jordanian school. Again here, you can see some images of these kids just loving to be back in a, in a normal place with a little bit of rigor. This is the Zatari refugee camp. As you can see there, it's a lot of tents in the middle of nowhere, and it's largely funded by the United States. But again, it's not meant to be a permanent city. It has libraries, it has roads, it has schools, it has hospitals. But this isn't where we ultimately want 100,000 people to live. And you can see the security around it. It's completely wrapped in barbed wire and, and made to, not made to keep people in, but it's made to keep the, ba the bad guys out. We also dealt with uh, bringing funds and goods to desert camps right up on the Iraqi border. And a lot of these people were uh, rural farmers who had left Syria and they sort of took their way of life with them from one part of the desert to another. Here you can see a little bit of the, the driving. You can see a signpost there with Iraq and Syria right behind me. And you can see uh, how flat and barren it is for these people. What's next for the Syria Fund? So I was here seven months yep. ago when the Syria Fund uh, built this tent classroom behind us. We laid down a concrete floor and there was no kids in here. They were all over there not going to school at all. And today they're all right here next to me and they're reading and they're writing and they're learning and they're getting an education and I could not be happier to see them here and they're wonderful. That's just a little bit of what they're doing. They're bringing humanitarian relief to the border. They're engaging with music teachers all the way, all across the world to teach in person and virtually music classes to these little kids, which they love. And that's it for my presentation. I just wanted to illuminate things a little bit for you. And thank you very much. Um, and just. Before I, I leave here, if I could encourage everybody to go to or find or write down a very quick address where you can make just the smallest donation to this group. They would love to see the, the uptick, $5, $10 at a time to uh, this fantastic cause. We're now on the map for Rotary International, and the website is the Syria Fund. T-H-E-S-Y-R-I-A-F-U-N-D.org. So thank you again. And I'm open to questions. Hi, uh, Katie Crockett and I were in Jordan about, what, five years ago. And uh, the king had just built a beautiful new school for the students. Have you met with the royal family at all? Have they gotten involved in any of the refugee problems? 
the Jordanian royal family has been a great uh, contributor to their to the Syrian refugees coming out. But everything that they can do is only through formal channels. You know, it's 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 uh, funding and building programs within their existing school system. But a lot of these Syrian refugees don't have the wherewithal, the access, the knowledge as, as to where these 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 resources lie. And they're so far out of school, many of these kids, that they can't really be streamlined into an existing school program. And that's where they tend to slip aside and fall out of the ranks of, of, of people that are going to school in these funded schools. But the, the Jordanian royal family has been fantastic. They really should be commended. Oh. It'd be very easy to get very discouraged uh, traveling in that part of the world. Uh, the news shows a little bit, but what do you do with 4.8 million refugees if you're not going to put them, you're not going to help them build cities because the cities they left are total rubble? What's the solution? Uh, yeah, maybe you don't have one. It, 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 no, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, a lot of people have been talking. You know, one of the other questions is, uh, is who are the good guys? You know, how do you actually end this whole thing? Both very, very difficult questions that are changing by the day now with, uh, with different parties involved. But the only thing that this group can do and where they've really focused their energy and efforts is in bringing education and a sense of normalcy to these kids that are, that are coming out of the region. The hope is that they'll land in places like Beirut, Turkey, they'll make their way to Western Europe and be contributing members of the society at that point. It gives them a leg up instead of just coming out of school, being out of school for years, and ending up on the streets of someplace like Berlin or Madrid. But it's a tough question. It's a great question. Hey, Robin, uh, thanks for being here today. I'm curious if the local uh, Rotary organization in, in that part of the world is involved in, in trying to help out with any of this. They are, and we've been talking to them about aligning more of an international effort for the Rotary Club. We've now gotten, at, gotten Microsoft to help sponsor, one of my former employer, employ, employers, to help us with the uh, sponsorship. But the Rotary Club in Amman has been key because, as I said before, you can't just send money to the Middle East. You need somebody on the ground that's going to be able to vouch for the money and pass certain Department of Defense protocols before they receive that money. Thank you, sir. Hey, thank you very much. Thank you, Robin. Um, it's our tradition in this club to give a pair of shoes and socks to a needy child um, in your name. So thank you for speaking to us today. Thank you, guys. Um, two quick announcements. If you want to be on French TV, Remember, there's the interview right after this. And then, as I like to end, Rotary is like tennis. The one who serves best usually wins. Now go forth and make a difference. Thank you for joining us for another wonderful meeting of the Rotary Club of Las Vegas. If you're interested in membership or want to know more about our upcoming projects and speakers, 
please visit lasvegasrotary.com for more information. Now go forth and make a difference.